We want to thank Gina for that beautiful song of meditation. Um, it's wonderful, even though our students are not here physically, uh, that we are in some measure able to get a taste of the gifts that God has given to them as part of our worship service. Also want to thank you as a congregation for your continued support of this church. Um, we know that many of you have been going through difficulties and challenges um, as the economy lurches to and fro, but you have continued to be faithful. And we are so grateful that the ministries of this church and the people's lives that we touch uh, can continue because of your faithfulness. We see you going online, even if you have not used online giving before and signing up for Adventist giving. We see you giving to the benevolent fund so we can help families who are struggling through it. And for those of you who are struggling, the church continues to be a place of support spiritually um, or in any other way we can. And for those who have been blessed and who continue to find um, that they have financial means, we thank you for continuing to give above and beyond what you normally would so that during this time we can go through the storm together as a community of faith. So we just want to thank you for continuing to support in this way. And we're excited about being able to support not just this community, but also our local community here in College Place and in Walla Walla through this food drive this week. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, as we enter your word for these next few moments, we pray that you will continue to guard our hearts. We ask that whether we are in our homes, whether we are driving, whether we are uh, with friends or by ourselves, that your spirit will come and be an invited guest. We pray that you will still the thoughts of our hearts. We pray, Father in heaven, that you will speak to us, give us comfort, give us challenge, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a pre-existing health condition, getting life insurance can be tricky. Life insurance does not want people with pre-existing conditions. I know. I had a cousin who had a pre-existing health condition and found it difficult to get life insurance. Now, he looked around and was able to find a life insurance plan that would take him on, but the prices were prohibitively high. And so after a few months of paying exorbitant fees, he eventually cut his life insurance. And I think there is a dark irony in the fact that if you have an injury, an illness, a sickness, a disorder, anything that makes you less than perfect or any ailment prior to applying for life insurance, it can be the very reason you were turned down. In short, your imperfections result not in support, but in sanction, in exclusion instead of inclusion. When I think about this, it would be like going to a restaurant and being turned away at the door because you have the pre-existing condition of being hungry. Now, of course, I am simplifying actual science that insurance companies have to navigate when they think about how to be profitable. But I think all of us would agree that any system which seems to 
stop those who need help from getting help feels deeply unfair. And all of us would react with indignation in any situation where those who are strong tend to abuse the weak, when grown-ups take advantage of kids. It feels unfair. We all agree that ideally our imperfections and our weaknesses should not be the reason we are sanctioned, but should be the cause for us to be supported. When we are weak and when we are in need, we should be given help. We should be encouraged. We should not be sanctioned and we should not be punished. And so when Jesus Christ in our story for this morning turns to his imperfect, weak, fear-addled, and terrified disciples after they have gone through a life and death situation, and he asks them this question, and it's a question that many of us have felt Jesus perhaps asking in situations in our life. It seems that Jesus is on the wrong side of this system and of this story. And that question is this. Jesus says to his disciples, after they have gone through fear, why are you afraid? They have been through a mortifying situation where their very life seemed to hang by a fine thread. And Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? Let's read the story together in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On the same day, when evening had come, he said, that is Jesus, said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the storm, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? If you're joining us for the first time today, we are continuing our series for the spring, Waymaker. We're going to be looking at narratives in the Bible where God seems to intercede in improbable ways when it seemed like there was no way out. And this is certainly one of those stories. Jesus Christ has been with a group of people. And then they take a trip across the Sea of Galilee with a group of other small boats as entourage. And then a great windstorm, Mark tells us, arises. And then the waves are so large, they crash against the boats, start to fill the boats until the disciples think they are going to die. And so these experienced fishermen who have spent their lives making a living on the Sea of Galilee now fear they are in mortal danger. And water begins to fill the boat, and they turn to Jesus. And when they turn to Jesus, they find that Jesus is asleep on the boat, on a cushion, on a pillow, 
which I think Mark is being very cheeky in including. It's telling us how much repose and rest Jesus has in the middle of the storm, that he is asleep in the stern of the boat on a pillow. And Jesus Christ turns to them. Rembrandt captures this scene in an incredible picture. Now, I am no Martha Mason or Tom Emerson, but I can look at this picture and I can pick up what Rembrandt is doing with this telling from the Gospel of Mark. If you look at the picture, he captures the utter terror of the scene. You see the panic-stricken disciples struggling against this sudden storm on the Sea of Galilee, fighting to regain control of their fishing boat as huge waves crash over its bow, ripping the sail. You can see there is a disciple trying to hold at the back, ripping the sail and drawing the craft perilously to these uh, rocks that are in the left foreground. And then one of the disciples succumbs to the violence of the sea and vomits into the water. And this next picture shows us a close-up of Jesus at the stern and of this unfortunate disciple in so much terror of his life vomiting into the sea. And we see Jesus Christ looking like he has just woken up from a nap looking at the disciples who are terrified and panic-stricken. And Mark tells us that when Jesus Christ wakes up, he asks them the question, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? Friends, it's an extraordinary response from Jesus. It's a response that baffles me and that makes me wonder sometimes if I really know Jesus. Because here are the disciples in the fight of their lives and Jesus Christ turns to them when he had the power to stop the storm, he turns to them and says, why are you afraid? And I'm going to just spitball questions that I had when I read this story, and maybe you had similar questions. I thought to myself, Jesus, if you had the power to stop the storm when it started, did you not also have the power to stop the storm from beginning? And yet we find Jesus chiding his disciples for their imperfection, sanctioning them for their lack of faith rather than supporting them in their time of desperation. And here is a point that I want to bring to you this afternoon. It seems to me that the disciples are obviously in need of help. They are obviously in need of saving, but their pre-existing conditions have landed them in trouble with Jesus. What do I mean? Jesus chides them for a lack of faith, and Jesus has told them often that they don't have enough faith. So he knows that their faith is not sufficient, and yet he is chiding them for a pre-existing condition rather than comforting them. And yet, Jesus is the one who could have stopped the storm from happening in the first place. What is going on? 
Why does Jesus allow this storm to happen? And then why does Jesus, in allowing the storm to happen, stay in the stern and sleep? Because this story, my friends, if you are a skeptic reading it, it's very clear. We have Jesus Christ who, while his disciples are sinking, he is sleeping. We find Jesus Christ who is dozing while his disciples are almost drowning. What is going on? And then when they cry out this ultimate cry of fear, of doubt, of abandonment, repeated in the stories of God all through the Bible and captured in the Psalter, Jesus does not seem to give them any comfort, but rather rebukes them for a lack of faith. And the questions are replete in my mind. And I'm sure that some of them may be similar to yours. When you find yourself in financial instability and you are wondering why Jesus has allowed the storm to come to your home. When you find yourself with exacerbated health problems that never seem to diminish but only increase, you wonder why has Jesus allowed this storm to come to my life? Why has Jesus allowed my parent, who is a paragon of virtue, who, would, who is angelic to be going through such a difficult situation? Why is Jesus allowing an already brittle marriage to be going through a storm that it certainly cannot survive? Deep anxiety, academic complexities, all of these storms can engulf us in our life, and it seems that sometimes Jesus is sleeping while we are drowning. And maybe you are asking those questions this afternoon. If you care, you would stop this. And then the second question, if you don't stop this, then you don't care. And some of us have reached that place. We're like the disciples, we're panic-stricken, and Jesus seems to be asleep. What is happening here? Why does Jesus rebuke the disciples for their lack of faith? Does Jesus only intervene if we have full faith and perfect faith? Does Jesus only work in our lives if we have no pre-existing conditions and we are perfect? Is that why Jesus is sleeping? When we look at this story, I think there are some answers that can help us through what I think is a difficult passage to navigate. Mark chapter 4, verse 38, tells us about the disciples. Like I've said, he says that when Jesus was in the storm, in the stern asleep on a pillow, they, this is the disciples, awoke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So here is uh, certainty, number one, that the disciples do not have faith because they accuse Jesus of indifference. They say, don't you care that we are perishing? And indifference is a callous accusation to have someone give to you. And then the disciples, after Jesus uh, 
uh, quells the storm, it says that they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? I'm trying to make a point, and the point is this, that before the storm is stopped, the disciples do not have faith that Jesus can help them, and they don't even have faith that Jesus cares. Number two, after the storm is finished, the disciples continue to be afraid. And so if we are going to look at the disciples as a paragon of virtue, of having perfect faith, and therefore being deserving of Jesus Christ helping in their life, you will not find that in this story, and that is good news. It's good news for me, and it's good news for you, that the fear of the disciples does not evaporate that before the miracle, they are scared, that after the miracle, they are terrified. And it brings me to the single point of my sermon today. And it's this, as we navigate the difficulty of the coronavirus, as we look at the difficulty of the economic implosion in our country, as we look at the uncertainty of the future for our businesses, for our institutions, for our schools, for our families, for our health, and we are wondering, can Jesus Christ be a waymaker through this storm, through this unprecedented moment in the history of the earth? Can Jesus do it for me, even if I don't have perfect faith? Here is the promise in this story. You don't have to possess perfect faith in order for God to be a waymaker in your storm. Because if you do, those disciples would have perished. You don't have to have perfect faith, my friends, in order for God to be a waymaker in your storm. You can be paralyzed with fear. You can be gripped with anxiety. You can be doubled over with uncertainty. You can be vomiting in panic. You can be staying up at night unable to sleep, and God can still be a waymaker even if you have imperfect trust in his ability to make a way. Christ is a waymaker through our fear, not because of our perfect faith, or because of our pristine lives, but because of his deep abiding love for us. And this story gives me hope and gives me solace, and I hope it does for you today if you are struggling to hold on and to trust God through your storm. If you are finding it difficult to really believe that God can bring you through, perhaps you have been serving God and following him as a disciple for 50 years, but this particular challenge you are facing feels like it's too much. Maybe you just became a follower of Jesus. Maybe you are thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus. Know that Christ is a waymaker through your fear, not because of your perfect faith, not because of your pristine lives, but because of his deep abiding love for you. And finally, notice with me that at the beginning of the story, Mark includes a couple of words that you normally pass over and don't realize the weight of. He says at the very beginning of this story, when he says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, that's Jesus speaking, let us cross over to the other side. And this has been put in bold for a reason, because Jesus gave them a promise. 
he said, let us cross over to the other side. And I'm going to stay with this just for a couple of moments. You see, Jesus Christ had said to them, you are going to take a journey with me. And in that journey, we are going to cross a lake. And when we cross that lake, I promise we'll get to the other side. Notice that Jesus does not tell the disciples how they will cross, how long it will take, whether the weather will be good, whether they will be happy in the crossing. All he says is we will get to the other side. Jesus doesn't promise the disciples that there will be no storms. Jesus doesn't promise the disciples that they will not feel in mortal danger. Jesus does promise that they will get to the other side. And this is so instructive for us today. We know as mature followers of Jesus that following the risen Christ does not mean that we will have no difficulties in our life. Following Jesus does not mean that things will not get hard. It does not mean complexities will not come. It does not mean storms will not come to our family and to our homes. But Jesus Christ has promised that we will get through, that we will get to the other side. And I believe, my friends, that means today, that even as we think about the future, and it's unclear, and it's stormy, Jesus has promised we will get to the other side. This too shall pass. We will go through it. He will be with us in the storm. He will take us from one uh, side of the storm to the other. And this promise is incredible. It's difficult to take, but it's Jesus' promise to the disciples, and it's Jesus' promise to me, and it's Jesus' promise to you. In fact, as we've been talking about Jesus Christ being a waymaker, we have looked at some stories and had an interview of people who have gone through situations where Jesus came through in improbable ways. And today, we're going to have another one of those interviews very shortly. And this interview, it's a little long, but it's one that you will find, I think, instructive for you today. Because this is someone who went through an improbable situation and should never have come out of the other side. This is someone who went through a difficult situation during a time when their faith was not pristine, when their trust was non-existent, and when they were not even following God. And yet God made a way for them when there should have been no way. And I hope that as we listen to this interview together, you might find hope and solace in knowing that God can be a way maker for you, even if you are struggling to trust him today. Well, I'm joined today by David Cress Solis as we continue our series, Waymaker, and we um, look at stories of how people's lives have been impacted by God in improbable ways and through uh, impossible situations. So David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, a little bit about myself. I am um, a uh, Walla Walla University graduate. Mm -hmm. um, and so, as they say, once you come to Walla Walla, you may try to leave, but you will always come back. So I've wow. come back. Um, recently was married to, um, of course, our pastor, uh, JC. 
press release. And um, I am currently a uh, elementary school teacher uh, subbing in the Walla Walla, uh, in the Walla Walla Valley. Wonderful. Well, listen, I remember a few months ago, we sat down together and you told me a story. And I think yes. this is the story you're going to share with us, a time when God intervened in your life in a way which was really quite improbable. Why don't you share that story with us? Yeah, well, the story kind of goes like this. Um, it was at a time in my life where I wasn't walking um, the path that you know I, I should have been walking. I was doing things my own way. And um, on August 29th of 2005, which happens to be my uh, younger brother's birthday, I was at the time managing a bar in uh, Waitsburg, Washington called the Lion's Den. And um, I'd taken the day off to be with um, my brother. <laughs> and, um, but I went in to work anyways to get some things situated, things lined up. And um, on my way back uh, it, from Waitsburg to Walla Walla, where the highway splits into uh, two lanes as you're going up the hill into uh, Dixie, Washington, um, a wind gust estimated from 45 to 50 miles an hour um, pushed me off the uh, side of the road. And um, I brought, or I tried to, I didn't, I, I should say, I don't remember any of this happening. Um, right, right. This is just the report. Um, but I, uh, when I tried to bring my Jeep back onto the road, because it was pushed into a ditch, yeah. and I think I was going 55 miles an hour, something like that, 60, maybe yeah. 65. Um, as I brought it back onto the highway from the ditch, there was a mailbox. I tried to miss the mailbox. Oh, boy. Um, I flipped my Jeep um, four times. On one of those four flips, um, my roof, which was the hard top, went one way. I was thrown the other way. And that's where um, our very own uh, Lori Rutvik, um, who happened to be coming the other way down the road, mm -hmm. uh, found me um, laid out on the highway. Wow. And so, you know, at this point, this situation, uh, if you were not the one telling it, and if someone else was telling us this story, I would say you were laid out on the highway and you were then picked up, taken to hospital, um, and your parents had bad news delivered to you, and then there was a funeral. But obviously you were here, so that did not happen. <laughs> Tell us the rest of the story. Well, the um, gentleman who was behind me, he said that he didn't think that I was going to make it. He and his wife were behind me. He said he didn't think that I was going to make it. Hmm. He did say, however, that it was probably a good thing that my seatbelt wasn't on because he thinks that had I been strapped in, yeah. I probably would have been damaged a oh. lot worse. He said maybe even, you know, yeah, you know, zapped in half, whatever. Oh. Um, but, uh, because Lori Rutvik, who she's, she's boss in, in the uh, emergency room, she just happened to be coming the other, the other direction, um, with, with her daughter. Um, mm. they found me, um, and, uh, 
man, God is good. She was on the scene. She was, you know, doing what she's she does for a living. And um, I, uh, they tried to bring in a helicopter to get me out of there that way. Hmm. Um, however, because there were wildfires in the mountains, for some reason, they just thought it was someone out on their 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 usual. Um, drive in the air in their, in their helicopters. So they wouldn't let them land. And so they had to um, pick me up. And they said it was about 45 minutes to an hour that it took to get everything situated. Um, they got me to uh, St. Mary's. Mm. Um, and uh, they got me um, stabilized, put together. Mm. And then they, from there, uh, flew me to uh, Cadillac, um medical center in Kennewick. Um, And so um, I was there for uh, two weeks. I was in, um, of course, I was in the ICU and I was put into a coma because I was, you know, I was all out of sorts. So they they thought by putting me in a coma, um, it would give my, my body some time to recover and figure out what was going on. And how did your life change um, as you went into that coma? And, and obviously, I'm sure there are details you could share with us. But if we fast forward a little mm-hmm. to when you came out of that coma, what was that experience like for you? When you came out, did you even know what had happened? When I came out of the coma, I didn't know what, what had happened. I remember that my and by this time, I had been moved from Cadillac to St. Luke's Rehabilitation Center in Spokane, Washington. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in my third center by that time. I remember my doctor came into my room one day and he said, you know where you're at? And um, I was able to get out of my bed, which is remarkable because I broke three pieces of vertebrae, mm-hmm. um, six, I think, six um, ribs, mm-hmm. and I punctured my lung. So I was, you know, I was fortunate that I could get up out of my bed, but I, I got up, I opened up the... the uh, the uh, blinds in my hospital room, and I said, "I'm in Hawaii." And he said, "You're where?" <laughs> I said, "I'm in Hawaii." And um, he said, "Oh, okay." So, because of the traumatic brain injury, I had some wild dreams while I was while I was out. But there were two things that were clear to me, and one of them was that God had saved me, which, yeah. like I said, I was nowhere close to God at the time, and so that really, mm. really rocked my world that God had saved me. Yes, and. Um, and I was supposed to become a school teacher, which I didn't want to become. Sorry, mom, you're a school teacher, but I didn't want to be like you. And so, um, but you know how sometimes you pray for something and you think, well, I think God is kind of wanting me to do this. Maybe, maybe if I pray that he, um, you know, it rains tonight and the water comes up to this point, then I'll know, you know, then I'll know, then I'll know, but I knew I was supposed to be a school teacher. There was no need to pray. So, wow. Well, listen. Um, thank you so much for sharing this story of God working in an improbable, impossible <laughs> situation. Um, yeah. You know that things don't always turn out like this, but in your life, you are a testament, a living testament, of the way God is able to work in improbable situations in our life and we want to thank you so much for sharing today david god bless you um thank and you. i'm sure that as we come out of this um 
um, lockdown that when people see you, they may come up to you and ask you for the rest of the story. So thanks again for sharing and God bless you. It, anytime, Pastor. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.